Thank you, praise team. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 11? We're going to look at John chapter 11, and today we will cover verses 17 through 44 of John chapter 11. This is the Lazarus file, part two. It's the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? I've often said that's what I wanted to say. Uh, I told you I was sick. An online magazine asked that question many years ago, and it it was inspired by a challenge that was posed once to Ernest Hemingway to write a six-word story, and Ernest Hemingway wrote a six-word story that became a classic, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. <clears throat> a six-word story that has such impact. Here are some of the, <clears throat> some of the epitaphs people wrote. Uh, Dr. Maxwell, you'll like this one. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. That's pretty good. Here's one. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. This was written by a nine-year-old boy who had cancer. Here's one. The psychic said, I'd be richer. (laughs) There you go. I like this one. Not a good Christian, but trying. Here's another one. This is kind of sad. Thought I would have had, I thought it would have more impact. How would you summarize your life? If you had to write a six-word epitaph, how would you sum up your life in six words? Or the next year? Or last year? How would you in six words write last year? I wonder what Lazarus might have written. Friends with Jesus, raised by him. That would be good. Or awakened by the call of Jesus. We're going to see tonight something that happens to everyone, and that is death. Death comes to all of us. Save the rapture of the church when Jesus comes and calls the church up to him. All of us will die. All of us will experience death. It touches every life. In the Lazarus file, we learn something about death, but we learn even more about hope after death. John chapter 11 and verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God 
will give you. Let's begin with this. Four days late. Marie Funches sings a song about uh, being four days late but being just on time because Jesus is God. And I like the song that she sings. We recall from last Sunday that after hearing the news of the death of Lazarus, Jesus waited two days before leaving. From where Jesus was to the place Lazarus was laying was a day's journey. And given that it was now four days since his death, Lazarus must have died shortly after the messengers had left to travel that day's journey to give the news to Jesus. Then Jesus waited two days And then Jesus came a day's journey, so it was now four days later. And so, with it being four days later, everybody had confirmed that Lazarus was dead. In fact, here's what was happening. The family and the friends, the community, was dealing with the reality that Lazarus was dead. When someone who is close to us passes away, it takes a while for the reality to sit in. We will have urges to reach out to them. We'll have urges to want to say something to that one who was our loved one who has passed away. We may even pick up the phone to call that person. It's a very natural thing because it takes a while for the reality of someone's passing to sit in. My father died Oh, my father died almost 37 years ago. So he's been dead a very long time. The reality of his death has set in. I, I don't have any question about that. <clears throat> my mother died probably 21 years ago, maybe 22 years ago. I have no question about the reality of that. Now, Jan's mom passed away just about a month or a little less than a month ago. It's still, the reality is still sinking in, isn't it, Jan? That's, that's something that happens. It takes a while <clears throat> for the reality to sink in, but the reality is beginning to sink in for the community, the family and friends of Lazarus, because they realize that Lazarus is actually gone. They realize that Lazarus is actually dead. A lot of people have come to the home of Lazarus to bring food, to offer comfort, and just to be near in a time of need. Of course, everyone was glad to see Jesus come, but really, they wish he had come sooner because it was too late. Martha, and I assume Mary, hears of Jesus' arrival. Martha goes to see him. It may not have registered with Mary, so she stays in the house. I I picture Mary doing what a lot of people do after the, the death of a loved one or someone who is very close to them. I picture Mary sitting there just staring, just staring and, and not really saying anything, not really wanting to do anything, not really wanting anything to eat, <clears throat> not really <clears throat> wanting to get any sleep. She is just staring. She's just looking. The reality is sitting in. And next comes the regrets. And I don't know that I'm talking about regrets necessarily of Mary and Martha toward their brother Lazarus. We'll say more about that in a moment, but other kinds of regrets. People have regrets in life. 
People come to the end of their life and they have regrets. Baseball great Mickey Mantle gave one last press conference on July the 11th, 1995. Mickey Mantle had become an alcoholic and had lived many years as, a, as dependent on, <clears throat> on alcohol. And when he gave this last press conference, it was standing room only because Mickey Mantle was the star's star. He was the sports hero for all time. He was equal to, as far as being an icon is concerned, equal to at that time, Babe Ruth. He was the Michael Jordan of baseball in his day, Mickey Mantle. And they waited for him to walk in. He's a very powerful athlete, and he walked in, and he was a frail man with an emaciated, decimated body. And he sat down, and he began the conference this way. God gave me a great body and an ability to play baseball. God gave me everything, and I just, he said. I'd like to say to the kids out there, if you're looking for a role model, <clears throat> this is a role model. Don't be like me, said Mickey Mantle. A reporter asked Mantle if he had signed a, <clears throat> a donor card. <clears throat> Everything's worn out, he said. Although I've heard people say they'd like to have my heart, it's never been used. When it comes to death, we don't want to have that feeling. We don't want to die with regrets. We don't want to die feeling bad about ourselves or about others. We don't want to die with an emptiness. We don't want to die wishing something else <clears throat> had happened. We want to die and, and without regrets and be without regrets. The regrets that I'm speaking of were expressed by Martha toward Jesus in wishing that he had come sooner. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. She certainly believed in Jesus, but as most of us do, she thought that sometimes even God can't intervene, that something has happened so permanent that not even God can intervene. We give up on all kinds of issues in our lives, and we assume that God has given up too. To be honest, there are not many. In fact, there's only one outside of Jesus who was raised from the dead and, or who died and lived again, and that was Lazarus. However, <clears throat> to be born again is to have the assurance of dying to live again. And Jesus explained to that, that to Martha as he explained the resurrection. Verse 23 of John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha believed Jesus for the resurrection, but he clarifies her belief. He said, I don't want you to believe me for the resurrection. I want you to believe that I am 
the resurrection. I am the walking, talking resurrection. The resurrection is not a thing, it's a person. The resurrection is not a place, it's an individual. And that individual is me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so he explains that to her. And he has, <clears throat> he is, that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life, and that he is the resurrection. And then he asks her, of course, if she believed that, and she responds that she did believe. However, he, she had no idea of what she was saying. She had no idea of the power of Jesus. She was about to see in a matter of minutes or, or hours, if, uh, whatever it was, she was about to see that his proof of being the resurrection was very real. He was about to speak resurrection. He was about to be resurrection. And the fact that he would die and raise again the third day would become somewhat of an accepted fact, I think, at least in the eyes of Martha, in the eyes of Mary, and should be in the eyes of everyone <clears throat> who observed it this day. At this time, however, Jesus was four days late. He was four days too late. Everybody thought so. Mary thought so. Martha thought so. All of the friends <clears throat> thought so. Children in the area thought, well, he's four days too late. Everybody feels like it's too late. We all have times in our lives when we reach the point of too late. Well, it's too late. And I appreciate that. I understand that. And could I say this to you, that <clears throat> that, that is a very real sentiment in, in life. Because Meemaw, uh, Jan's mom's death, is so, so current to me and to Jan. I think of certain things that took place in the last days of her life. She was in a, a care facility, a, an alive hospice where they cared for her beautifully and wonderfully, and it was and cared for the family as well in Nashville, Tennessee. And one day, someone brought to with the food cart to John, uh, Jan's mom to Meemaw, brought her some ice cream. And somebody in the room said, "Oh, she's diabetic," <clears throat> and they said. They get whatever they want in here. In other words, they were saying it's not time to fix her diabetes. It's not time to, to worry about whether or not she has a piece of pie. Everybody gets what they want. And what they were saying basically was, and understandably so, and I don't say this with any <clears throat> sense of sarcasm at all, but what they were saying is, well, it's too late. It's, it's too late for her. Let her have the ice cream. Let her experience something like that. We have the tendency to believe that it's too late. And I will say this to you before we move on. It's never too late. It seems too late. We accept that it's too late. We often live as though it's too late. But it's never too late. The first thing that we see is that Jesus was four days late. He was actually four days on time, but 
we saw it, and they saw it as four days late. Here's the second thing we see. Someone falling for Jesus. You'll see what this is, and you already know. Martha and Mary, along with many other family members and friends, were genuinely mourning the death of Lazarus. His death wasn't an anonymous death. I, I saw a special on Katrina and, and all of the lives that were lost in, in uh, New Orleans. And if I remember correctly, there's still 35 people that they have not identified 10 years later. They don't know who they are. <clears throat> they can't figure out who they are. They can't find a record of them. There's no way for them to identify these people. Well, that's not the way that the death of Lazarus is to be recorded. He was not someone who was anonymous. He had people. He had people who cared about him. He had friends. And even though Martha had seen Jesus, Mary remained back at the house because she still cared about, she cared so much about him, she just sat there and, and stared. Then she received the call. Continuing in our text of John chapter 11, now verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Jesus rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, for some reason, we've mentioned this already several times, for some reason, it had not yet clicked with Mary. For some reason, it had not yet clicked with her what had happened, and that indeed Lazarus was dead. But now she understands. By the fact that the friends who were with her thought that she was going back to the tomb lets us know how deeply she was feeling about the loss of her brother. They thought, well, she's going back to the tomb. She's going to to cry some more. She's going to sit there and weep. She's going to be sad some more. I think most people, when they bury a loved one, soon after they bury the loved one, they go back to the gravesite. And they weep a little more. And they may go back again and they weep a little more. And that's all a very natural and right thing. It's not a wrong thing. It's a right thing to do. Eventually, however, they're able to go back and be nostalgic and be grateful. And long to see that person again. Some of you are very close to having lost a very dear loved one. A dear friend, Bobby Winchester, is here today. Her husband, Sid, passed away not too very long ago. Sid had been sick for a long time. They used to sit in this services. They would sit, I believe, in this section right over here. And it's still very real to Bobby. And the waves continue to come, and they continue to crash over. And that's understandable. Everybody has that. There are others of you who occasionally will have a wave to come in, a wave of sadness and and so on. Well, so it was with Mary. Mary had this sadness that would 
continue. And I, I, for some reason, she was a little closer maybe to her brother. At least it seemed like she was closer to him. Maybe she was just melancholic. However, Mary was close to her brother, but she was in, even closer to Jesus. And for that, we see the consecration or that which Mary did in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's what Mary demonstrates. She demonstrates devotion and consecration to Jesus. She falls at Jesus' feet. I suppose since their very first meeting, Mary had been devoted to Jesus. Ever since their very first meeting, Mary had hung upon every word that Jesus said. You'll recall this from John, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Mary was a woman of deep consecration. She could listen. She could sit and just soak in the Word of God and the words of God. She could just be in the presence of Jesus all the time. And after the miracle of her brother's resurrection, Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus again, this time to anoint him, John chapter 12 and verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive oil, this is a different time, of ointment and made from the uh, pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. On this day, Mary falls to the feet of Jesus And she has the same feelings as her sister Martha. She says the same words as her sister Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She too thought that Jesus was four days too late. Martha thought that Jesus was four days too late. The community thought that Jesus was four days too late. Everybody except Jesus thought that Jesus was four days too late. We begin to see now in the face of Jesus and in the, in the heart of Jesus and by the actions of Jesus, the compassion that he felt at this very moment. In all of this, Jesus is deeply moved. We should understand that Jesus is not robotic. Jesus is not uh, placid. Jesus is not cold. Jesus is not unemotional. Jesus was deeply moved. The Bible goes on to say in our text in verse 33 of John 11, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Well, there it is. The shortest yet perhaps most profound verse in the New Testament. Those two words, Jesus wept. If you want to know anything about Jesus, understand that Jesus wept. Why would Jesus cry at the death of Lazarus? Why would the sadness of the family and the friends uh, that would soon turn to great joy, why would that cause Jesus to cry? Jesus knew what he could do. Jesus knew what he would do. 
why would Jesus weep? Why would Jesus cry? Well, everyone on the scene misinterpreted the reason for his tears. The friends of Lazarus thought that the tears were uh, just sentimental and perhaps regret that he had not gotten there sooner, but those weren't the reason for the tears. We can't be sure why Jesus wept, but we are comforted that he did. And the one upon whom we can cast all of our care showed his compassion on the day he would bring Lazarus forth from the dead. Now, here are four reasons that Jesus might have wept. Let me give them to you in a row. Number one, sympathy. He may have wept for simply feeling sorry for the people for their loss. It's a good thing to have sympathy. It's not a wrong thing. It's a bad thing to be unsympathetic. Whenever there is loss, there should be some kind of sympathy. There should be some sense of sympathy. I feel bad about your loss. It hurts to see your loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. If you ever say that to someone, I'm sorry for your loss, mean it when you say it and say it in a way that you mean it. Oftentimes that becomes a a catchphrase. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. That becomes a a catchphrase like, thank you for your service. You say to a, a, a soldier or a sailor or a Marine, an airman, you say to someone serving in the military, thank you for your service. That's a good thing. But it's a better thing to stop them and say, I want to say something to you that I'm sure you've heard before, but I really mean it. Thank you for your service. Thank a police officer. Thank a fireman. Thank a first responder. And on and on it goes. Jesus had sympathy. He was sorry for their loss, but it wasn't just a phrase. It was for real with him. I'm sorry for your loss. Not only did he have sympathy, but Jesus had empathy. Jesus didn't just observe their sorrow. He felt it. He felt what they were feeling. His heart was knit to their heart, and he felt their loss. In Psalm 34 and 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Whenever your heart is so deeply broken, and whenever you're so sad, and whenever you hurt so badly, and you begin to ask the question, Well, where is God during this time? I want you to know that God is quite near to you. In fact, perhaps nearer to you than he's been before. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. When your heart is broken, Jesus is near to you. It's a good time to talk to the Lord because he's near to you. Say, isn't he always with me? Yes, he is always with you. But I'm telling you that when your heart is broken, remember that he is near to you. Remember that he is close to you. And speak to him as you uh, would to a friend. Speak to him as you would to a loved one. The compassion of Jesus was shown in his sympathy and shown in empathy. Let me give you another reason that I think Jesus may have wept, and that is the reality. Lost to everyone else on this scene and lost to most of us, but not to Jesus, was the reason that Lazarus had died. Lazarus had died for a particular reason. Jesus knew the reason that Lazarus had died. Everyone else was sad that Lazarus had died, and and they should have been. Everyone else regretted the death of Lazarus, and they should have regretted the death of Lazarus. 
But Jesus knew why Lazarus had died. And to him, it was particularly sad. This was the reason that Jesus had come. It was the curse on all of mankind that only the blood of Jesus Christ could erase. And when he stood at that tomb and he looked and he saw that his friend Lazarus had died, he knew why Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was dead because of the curse of sin on this earth. I am here because Lazarus is dead. I am here because all people die. I am here because sin has separated uh, mankind from me. I am here to make a way back. And Jesus wept. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Jesus knew the reality. Jesus knew the real reason that Lazarus was dead. I'm so sad when we see people die. I've been the pastor of this church, well, in February now, it'll be 24 years. In 24 years, I've seen a lot of good people die. I've seen people who used to sit over here who are no longer here because one of them's dead, the other one is still living, but one of them's dead. I can look out and I can see all over this auditorium places where there used to be faces where people listened to the preaching of God's Word and responded to the message of God's Word. And they no longer respond because they're no longer here. And the reason they're no longer here is because of sin. Not necessarily their own sin life, but the curse of sin on this world. Jesus knew the reality. Larry, he knew why Lazarus had died. I want to give you one more reason. Why the compassion? Why did Jesus weep? Was it in sympathy? Probably so. Was it in empathy? Definitely so. Was it in reality? Unquestionably so. But let me give you one more reason, and that's because of eternity. This is how I've always pictured the the tears of Jesus. As an acknowledgement that bringing Lazarus back from the presence of God to a sin-cursed world was something to cry about. I've made statements in funeral services before. I've said, I know that you miss your loved one. I know that you miss your friend. I know that you miss your daddy or your mom or your husband or your wife. I know that you miss them, and you are right to miss them. You have every right to miss them. However, I want you to know that they would not come back from the place to which they have gone. That's such a comfort to be able to say that to the family of a born-again believer, that they would not come back, and they wouldn't. They would not come back. You say, wouldn't they miss me? Oh, they might miss you for a minute, but as soon as a minute's over, you're there in heaven's time. They don't have time to miss you. Didn't they love me? Oh, they loved you dearly. Still do love you. But in heaven, there's something else going on that has completely changed the whole world, uh, 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 the whole universe around them and eternity around them. They would not, they would not come back if they could. 
Jesus wept. He's about to bring Lazarus back. Lazarus, who for days now has been reuniting with friends and family in heaven. Lazarus, for some time now, who has heard heaven's choir. Lazarus, who for some time now had been experiencing all of the the bounty of heaven. Lazarus, who knew what it meant to be with a father. Lazarus, who knew just how wonderful heaven really was. Lazarus was about to be called back. And Jesus wept. Whatever the reason, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Lamb of God, Jesus wept. In the Lazarus file, part two, we see that Jesus was, by everybody else's measure, four days late. We see that there was one particular person who fell for Jesus and brought out in Jesus a sense of compassion unlike anyone had ever seen before. Now let's go to the last part of the message and see the freeing of Lazarus. The end of the Lazarus file is the best part, even though it starts out a little unpleasant. There are certain unpleasantries surrounding death. I know that there are a lot of people who are not afraid of death. I'm not really afraid of death. But the dying process, I don't care for. There's a process from life to death that's called dying. And dying doesn't feel good to anybody. Dying doesn't feel good to the person dying. Dying doesn't feel good to the people who are left behind. The dying process is an unpleasantry. For some people, it's an unpleasant thing to have a a visitation at the funeral home or at the church. There are mixed feelings about whether or not someone wants their body to be viewed. There are mixed feelings about that. Some people say yes and some people say no. Some people don't want to visit in the funeral home. They don't want to see uh, the body. To be honest with you, when Jan's mom passed away, I was glad, and it was for my sake, that there was a viewing. Even though I knew where she was, I have no doubts about it, that part of the whole matter was comforting to me. This seems a little strange, and forgive me for saying it, and and I don't expect you young people to understand this at all, so I'm, I'm with you on that. But Jan's mom was absolutely beautiful. As she was in the casket, without life, absolutely without life, would not live again on this earth, was alive in heaven, but she was absolutely beautiful. And I had heard so much about her suffering the last few days. And Jan had gone up there and had been with her. Jan was a great daughter for her. And she has two wonderful sons. But I had stayed back here. And I had deliberately stayed back here because I did not want to see Jan's mom dying. He said, was that selfish of you? It probably was. 
I mean, I was her favorite son-in-law. It was probably selfish of me. But when I saw Meemaw, I said, it's all right. And so my memory was of a beautiful 85-year-old lady in a blue dress with silver hair. The dying process for many people is very, very different, and it can be unpleasant. It's disturbing for some people. And I understand if you're a person that says, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to see that, or whatever. I understand that. Just, let, let me just say this to, to all of us. Let's give people around us space to grieve the way that they grieve, okay? Let's give them space to grieve. Some people grieve very much by themselves. Other people, and, 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 and they don't want to be demonstrative in it. Other people have a different way of grieving. The truth is that the end of life can be <clears throat> unpleasant. The unpleasantries of the death of Lazarus are a little more graphic in John chapter 11 and verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And she was right. This is pretty obvious to everyone, but Jesus had a different view of it. He saw the situation was unpleasant, but he saw that the possibilities were unlimited. He knew what could happen. In fact, let's just see what did happen. In John chapter 11 and verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that I have heard that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. They began to say, he's talking to God. He's speaking to the Father. And with everyone in earshot, they were allowed to hear the talk that Jesus had with his heavenly Father. And there was probably a lot of conversation about that. The one for whom they had wept was suddenly and miraculously then unbound. Look, if you will, at verse 43 as we finish the chapter or finish the passage. When he said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Get yourselves ready. I'm going to cry with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the dramatic pause after that? The dramatic pause was met by this. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his 
face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. Pastor Ray, do you really believe that story? (laughs) Well, see, here's the thing. I believe that in six literal days, God created the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh. See, I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, a woman who had never had any kind of an intimate relationship with any man, and Jesus was born because the Holy Spirit of God placed the Son of God within the womb of Mary, and Jesus was born. I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross of Calvary, rose again three days later. I believe that he literally rose again three days later. I believe that Jesus ascended, that he walked on this earth for 40 days of his resurrection life, and then he ascended to heaven. And I believe that Jesus is in heaven today preparing a place for me and a place for all of us who are born again. I believe that Jesus is literally there, and I believe that Jesus is literally going to come back from heaven, and Jesus is going to come and gather his saints into the clouds, and we're going to be with the Lord forever, and we're going after a period of time come back with him and he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. So believing that Lazarus came out of the grave doesn't bother me a bit. That's just kind of a one question on a 50,000 answer test. Sure he did. He was unbound from the grip of death. He was unbound from the grip of the grave clothes. He was unbound. What an amazing concept to live unbound. What an amazing thing to step forth and to be unbound. Free from those things that have tied us. Free from those things that have kept us bound. Free from those things that have that have hurt us, free from those things that have choked us, free from, the, from all of those things, free from worry, free from care, free from sin, free indeed. Lazarus came forth and he was unbound. We too can be unbound. The Lazarus file should have your name on it. should be the Frank file. It should be the Fred file. The Lazarus file should be the Holly file. The Lazarus file should be the the Mike file, the Jimmy file, the Patty file. should be the Susan file. The Lazarus file should be your file and yours and yours and yours. The Lazarus file should be a, a teen file, unbound. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You don't have to ruin your life like other people are starting to ruin theirs. 
you can be unbound. You say, Pastor Ray, how do I know that I can be that? Well, because the Bible told you. This is the ending of the sermon right here, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, followed the course of this world, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by the grace you have been saved. Have you been unbound? We preach sermons all the time and we give invitations and and the invitations for people to be saved, yet there are always people who sit in a pew and they are bound by something that holds them there, even though there's something else within them that says, why don't you go and get this cared for? Why don't you go and get unbound from this fear? Why don't you go and get unbound from this this sin? Why don't you go and get unbound from what you're afraid of? Why don't you go and let Pastor Ray talk to you about how to be truly born again and truly free? Why don't you go? It's, I know the reason. It's because sin has you bound in that seed. Well, I'm telling you today, Jesus is going to say, come out. And I would encourage you, if you have been bound by the fear of not going to heaven when you die, if you have been bound by the fear that you're not truly born again, if you have been bound by the fear that Jesus Christ is not really your Savior and Lord, if you have been bound by that fear in your life, I'm going to encourage you today, no matter who you are, where you're sitting, I'm going to encourage you to step out and be unbound today. You would be amazed at how unbinding the very first step will be and how freeing the second step will be and how free, more free still the third and fourth step will be. And when you pray and get it clear in your mind and heart today that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you will be free indeed.